I had such an interesting night last night. Had a Thanksgiving dinner with friends, and uh, I was I was feeling a little down, but I had a lot of fun. But I think um, my frustration about some of my own issues kind of came out in my being a little bit uh, hostile toward my friends. I, 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 I think that at a, at a physical level, like how the evening went was great. In fact, I mean, I had a great time. And I think everyone had a great time. But I, I wonder if everyone doesn't also feel a little bit of a hangover from the day, from the night. Kind of like, like something was off. And I wonder if they'll properly assign it to me. <laughs> I think that the host did at one point properly assign it to me. He said, I'm surprised you haven't been getting flipped off yet by our other friend who I was digging at all night. And our other friend is aggressive and, and doesn't usually put up with people being shitty. Um, but I don't know if he properly assigned, like, the entire evening's exhaustion to me. We'll see. We'll see if he got that. Um, it's, it, I was reading the Book of Life or the School, School of Life uh, podcast or a blog today. He was, talk, he was talking about how, um, you know, like when our, he says, why do we sometimes try to take our loved ones down a notch when they're in good spirits and we try to ruin it? And I felt like that applied to me. When you're feeling kind of down, you, uh, you maybe feel like you're going to get left behind by someone who's up and like you need, you need to pull them to your level. It's interesting. So I'm not, I'm not usually in that state. Um, and if, if for whatever reason you're listening to these podcasts, you'll see that I'll get a little more chipper. Uh, I'm probably a little down right now relative to average. Um, but like I was doing that a little to my friends. I was being kind of hypercritical and, and at the same time, I was like, I was in a sensitive space myself and trying to connect to people at an emotional level. In, in some respect, that's actually what I was doing was I was connecting to people at an emotional level, which is just a more reckless way for me to conduct myself because I'm not as, I'm not as experienced in it, in being emotionally connecting to people. And, and that's, uh, that's an interesting insight. It's like I, I'm not as experienced in connecting emotionally. When I'm connecting emotionally, I'm not as calibrated. So part of the evening had to do with me being kind of emotionally hostile and also emotionally generous in some ways. Hmm. So, you know, there was a, there was a few people at this get-together, this Thanksgiving dinner of of people whose kids were all at their spouses, at their ex-wives, basically. Um, there was a few people I didn't know, and and I approached them with, I think, a spirit of kindness, and I ended up finding a lot to like about them, and I was hyper-attuned to their weaknesses. I was hyper-attuned to their... I really found a lot to like about them, but I was immediately attuned to their flaws. And I do this sometimes where I'm like very aware of power dynamics. And I'll see a couple and I'll I'll notice how one of them defers unhealthily to the other. I'll notice how one of them is is 
I'll notice how they'll sort their sort of ego, their dance of their egos. I can see it. And how there's a power dynamic where one of them wants the other to be successful and wonderful. And, they, and so I, one of the things that I did was I tried to gift one of the members of this couple the gift of me being impressed by their spouse. <laughs> because I knew that they wanted their spouse to be impressive. But they were two fragile people. And that was really interesting to see because they're both beautiful, interesting people. But they're fragile. It's so interesting. You know, because I think they were... um, They were not that different than me. They're they're a lot like me. And, um, And in fact, there, it was a whole group of fragile people <laughs> with one kind of stalwart, like solid, um, non-fragile person, a, uh, a tough, solid, sort of matriarchal character. Um, all, the other, all the other people there are fragile in one way or another. We have a, a the the fragile person in a state of shock right now over traumatic events in their life. We have a fragile person who is an intense character whose fragility comes out in the form of like this intensity that can be exhausting and overwhelming. We have me uh I'm not sure if I'm if my fragility is recognized as much, but like just a sort of um, clusterfuck of uh, of we- like weird. Like I think I'm just I'm just very weird. I think I'm very. I'm I'm what I am is I'm on the margins of society in a way that other people don't I don't think they quite know. I don't think anyone realizes that I'm days away from just disappearing because I lost my apartment because I couldn't pay my rent or you know, I don't think people realize how quick I could evaporate out of their life. And I'm not saying they should. I'm not saying they should, but I I think that people don't realize that how close I am to just disappearing all the time. I'm I'm the most almost homeless in any group of non-homeless people. <laughs> I'm the most almost gone. The most almost what? Where did what happened to him? Where I can't get a hold of him. That's me. Um. And I'm not. And that that's not actually like an ego thing. That's not a. I don't relish that. That's I don't. I'm not like. That's a that's a characteristic of myself that I am ashamed of. So I don't like people to know it, and so I don't tell them. But I find it very easy to leave, and I find it very like safe to leave and be gone forever. This is perhaps the blessing and challenge of having children is that it became clear to me somewhere around that them being about five years old 
that there was no scenario in which I would be able to leave and that I was actually needed. And this is a very, this has become almost entirely a blessing. At the time it was a blessing and a challenge because when you're not used to that, it's a real interesting challenge. Um, But at this point, you know, I've fought hard in court through lawyers to make sure that I'm in my kid's life and through incredibly weird legal complex things and accusations, radical stuff that if it were true about me would keep me from ever being with my kids, um, which isn't true about me. (laughs) You know, complex divorce processes. I've fought really hard through a lot of desire to uh, eject because uh, because it's one thing I actually know is true. They actually need me. For better or worse, whether they should or they shouldn't, whether I like that or not, like none of that has anything to do with the reality that they need me. <laughs> so I guess that's quite a blessing, actually, because I like things that are true and certain. Um... And even when my kids, you know, get to a certain age, they're they're in early elementary school now. As they get into junior high and they suddenly don't seem to need me or whatever, like that that I'll always know they actually do need me, whether I'm whether they are giving me any time or not. It really doesn't have anything to do with the fact that they need me. They might need distance, but they still need me. It's very obvious to me that that's just like this like baked in genetic thing <laughs> because I can't, <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't make any sense for these kids to need me, you know, like, <laughs> it's obviously, um, you know, they need me the way that like our, our bodies need oxygen. It's for like a process that we don't consciously understand. Uh, we die without it. So, you know, I think the human psyche doesn't die without their parent, but it definitely, like, has to build massive, massive scaffolding to survive. So, that's me and all my fragility. This, I'm a guy on the margins of society in ways that I'm not sure people understand. The people that happen to know me right now, who've only known me for eight months. And then there were the fragile couple. A couple of artists. One, you know, pushing into a sort of version of success that is going to be fraught with disappointment and eventual failure. The other not doing what they want, not quite living it out, not quite getting there. And doing that thing at the party where you're you're talking about what you do, but what you're also talking about what you want to do, and watching kind of themselves be one-upped by other people. In ways that were intentional and unintentional, they were one-upped by everybody. Basically, they walked in as the two artists, and they ran into a bunch of intense artists 
and I don't think they knew what they were getting into. <laughs> and then we had a lot of fun. So I tried very hard to do... To try to kind of make up for... Probably I was trying to compensate for where I... For my criticism. My... Feeling of superiority. I think I was trying to criticize... Like trying to compensate for a feeling of superiority. By being... Attentive and kind. To the artists. And then that got blown apart by... Reference to some of my successes made by another person which resulted in them in in me being kind of an object of envy and attention and this happened all very accidentally to the point that it was actually embarrassing and it stoked my you know ego quite a bit but it was very much an unintentional i didn't see it coming <laughs> which then caused forced me to reckon with the fact that i was playing a role i was playing the role of like a psychophant i was is that the word is that how you pronounce it i've only read that word I was playing a role of an interested person. I was playing the role of like the how to friend, win friends and influence people where you only ask questions and you don't let people know anything about you. Which is, in a sense, fundamentally insincere. And in a weird way, kind of sets people up to feel stupid later. It's also fucking hopeless how to engage in all of our fragility. Which is why some people just cook dinner, serve it, and make a nice conversation. Like the matriarch character. Which also is probably the only, um, potentially the least intuitive of all the sort of personality types there. Although there's another person there that was a, is a dominant sensor. That person is very much in, t in tune with their intuition, owing to just like a lot of trauma and such in their life. But this matriarch character is kind of a traditionalist. And, man, you can kind of see the importance of that character in a family and in a, in a, in a structure of friends when everyone else are these fragile, fucked-up, intuitive types. <laughs> so... It was an interesting night. Very fun. I, like, well, I needed it. I got a lot of what I needed last night. I felt like I got that at the expense of some other people. Which I didn't realize until later. I've been trying lately to connect with people at a, what people talk about as like an emotional or like a heart level. I don't even know what that means, but I've been trying to do it. I think when I do it, I feel such intimacy with people. I don't know how to handle it. It feels too intimate. But... I did try to do that, and and then there were times I forgot to try to do that, um, and I I think there's a certain energy cost of not connecting with people and staying in my head. I think it actually ends up costing more energy. Whereas when I kind of connect to people, I can sit back and let 
that connection do some work and it doesn't cost as much energy. So it's something I want to work on. Anyway, um, so today is kind of a day off, day after Thanksgiving, and uh, I've been listening to some podcasts from some Christian spiritualists and some Enneagram stuff, which is something I've never really gotten into, and I've struggled to see the value in the Enneagram, but I'm starting to get a sense of the value of it. Um, I just definitely... I think one of the reasons it hasn't been as valuable to me is that um, I'm probably a type 7, and I think that the Enneagram is, being a type 7 on the Enneagram is like being a ESFJ in the Myers-Briggs. It's like the largest population of people fill, fall into both 6 and 7 on the Enneagram. It's like half of everybody is either a 6 or a 7, and so, and so it's a really wide set of types that lives in the group seven. In fact, I know um, the guy that writes the Personality Junkie blog, A.J. Uh, Dundreth is his name, I think. I, I can't remember. He's an INTP. and He says that all of the E.P. Myers-Briggs types are sevens. Uh, ENTP, ENFP, ESFP, and ESTP. That means that everyone that leads with an extroverted perceiving function, everyone that is like fundamentally attuned to the great what is or the great what could be. That's like the great, like what is is extroverted sensing and the great what could be is extroverted intuition. And that is a huge, that's just a lot of people. Um, most of the people in that group are ESFPs and ENFPs. Uh, probably 75%. And then about 10% or 25% of those people are ENTPs and ESTPs. The ESTP Extroverted sensor, introverted intuitive, extroverted sensor, introverted thinker is a really rare type, um, and the ENTP is a rare type as well. But the ESTP is actually, I think, more rare, um, and that's what me and one of my best friends are: is an ENTP, that's me, and an ESTP, him, and we tend to get a lot of value from talking through this stuff. Um, but the Enneagram Seven, I, I actually. I'd heard people say I should be a 7 if I'm an ENTP. I didn't totally resonate with the descriptions there and eventually discovered that I resonated better with the Enneagram 5 social subtype. And then, just like yesterday, decided, no, I'm actually probably a 7. Um, the 5 is much more of the INTP or the INTJ. And the Enneagram would say that in integration, in growth, in healthy growth in a certain way, a seven might take on more five characteristics. And so it would be reasonable for me to sometimes feel more five-ish and it would be reasonable for me to sometimes feel more one-ish, which is like under stress, becoming more perfectionistic and critical. And All that said, at the end of the day, I think I'm a common seven and... Um, I was listening to some podcasts about that and trying to come to grips with like how to how to move forward, how to grow. And the answer is I guess 
I, um, I was really impressed by this Christian philosopher, Rob Bell, who's an Enneagram 7, and I think an ESTP or an ENTP for sure. I don't think he's a feeler type. He's, he's an extroverted perceiver with an introverted thinking auxiliary. I think he's probably an ESTP. Um, so I was really impressed with his stuff, but I still don't understand why Christianity makes sense as a baseline as opposed to not, but I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to try to learn more. Um, and I think the answer is to um, sit with pain more and to like sink into it more and deal with sorrow more because the Enneagram 7 fears pain and keeps on the run to avoid it. And so, yeah, giving myself license to sit silently and feel pain, even when I'm in public, to maybe like learn to shake my head like I don't know when someone's asking me a question that I can't answer. And admittedly, I think this podcast is probably a terrible idea because it's just more noise instead of sitting. But I'm just so lonely and I... I don't know. I can't handle a relationship. (laughs) I guess maybe I'm imagining a very generous audience. And that helps.